Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. The House Armed Services Committee, they are right now asking questions of the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Milley, the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, and the Commander of CENCOM, Frank McKenzie. Now, these questions have been going on for a while today. This is different than what happened yesterday with the Senate Armed Services Committee. But you can bet your bottom dollar that some of the things you're hearing are the same. That you have the reality that Joe Biden was given information. And Joe Biden didn't take information. That information about the 2,500 troops. We recommend 2,500 troops remain. That's what was recommended. 2,500 troops should remain. But he did not take that recommendation. This is exactly from Mark Milley and Lloyd Austin when asked the questions by Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas yesterday. General Milley, it's your testimony that you recommended 2,500 troops uh, approximately stay in Afghanistan? Um, as I've said many times before this committee and other committees, I don't share my personal recommendations to the president, but I can tell you my personal opinion and my assessment if that's what you want. Yes, please. Um, yes, my assessment was. Uh, Back in the fall of 20, and it remained consistent throughout that uh, we should keep a steady state of 2,500, and it could bounce up to 3,500, maybe something like that, uh, in order to move toward a negotiated, gated solution. Did you uh, present? Did you ever present that assessment personally to President Biden? I don't discuss exactly what uh, my conversations are with the sitting president in the Oval Office, but I can tell you what my personal opinion was, and I'm okay. always candid. General McKenzie, do you share that assessment? Senator, I do share that assessment. Um, did you ever present that opinion personally to President Biden? Again, I'm not going to be able to comment on uh, those executive discussions. Did General Miller ever present that opinion personally to President Biden? I think it would be best to ask him. I believe that his opinion was well heard. Uh, Secretary Austin, uh, President Biden last month in an interview with George Stephanopoulos said that no military leader advised him to leave a small troop presence in Afghanistan. Is that true? Uh, Senator Cotton, I, uh, I believe that, uh, well, first of all, I, I know the president to be an honest and forthright man. Uh, and just, secondly, just a, it's a simple question, Secretary Austin. He said no senior military leader advised him to leave a small troop presence behind. Is that true or not? Did these officer and General Miller's recommendations get to the president personally? Their input was, uh, was received by the president and considered by the president uh, for sure. If it was considered for sure, you're telling me that Joe Biden, the president of the United States, said, nah, we're going to leave. We're not going to leave any troops there. We're just going to get everybody out. We're going to be, everyone's going to be done. The reason that happened is exactly what we have been discussing the entire time. It is that Joe Biden was more interested in legacy. And being more interested in legacy... Ending the war, doing what Barack Obama did not or could not or would not do. He ends the war. That 
is Joe Biden's driving force and nothing else matters at all. At all. And in any way. So the House is now asking the questions. I've got to tell you, it's a little bit of a different tone already with the House than with the Senate, because there were Democrats, uh, Democratic senators, like, we've got a real problem here. we got a real issue here. This was not well done. But when this session started, Representative Adam Smith, who's the chairman of the Armed Services Committee in the House, he had a much different take. Our larger mission to help build a government in Afghanistan that could govern effectively and defeat the Taliban had failed. More money and more lost American lives were not going to change that. The events we witnessed in Afghanistan in the wake of the collapse of the Afghan government in August happened primarily because of this reality, because of the fundamental reality that our mission to try to stand up a government in place of the Taliban had failed. That reality is what caused the overwhelming majority of the problems that we faced. There was no easier, safe way to get everyone out of that country we wanted to get out. Yet in the face of that, our military conducted the largest human airlift in history, in coordination with the rest of the interagency and our allies, evacuating over 120,000 people. This evacuation, however, did not come without costs. We lost 13 U.S. service members and dozens of innocent Afghans due to ISIS-K's attack at the Abbey Gate on August 26th. That's the misrepresentation. We lost them because we didn't handle the situation properly at all or in any way. We lost them because we didn't delay and push back the deadline that was arbitrary in and of itself. There's a series of reasons we did this. We did this, we lost them because we didn't keep the 2,500 troops. There's a never-ending series of conversations here that don't go to the fact that ISIS-K is terrible or the Taliban is terrible, but goes to the idea, goes to the idea that we didn't do our job properly. That's what seems obvious. Now, we're expecting to hear from Representative Gates and and a few others, possibly Representative Banks, who I happened to speak to earlier, Jim Banks of the Indiana 3rd District. Even Liz Cheney is supposed to ask some questions. I want to bring to you what I can. We will share more of this. And, oh, what is the NBA going to do when players aren't willing to get vaccinated and they're like, well, you don't get paid if you don't play? I, you think the Players Association is going to go with that? Force vaccination, how wrong it is. That story is coming up. I'm Tony Katz. Are you capable of assessing whether another has the will to fight? No, we're not. And uh, that's the point that the chairman made earlier. That's just like an incredibly disappointing thing for the secretary of defense to simply say, I can't assess whether someone has the will to fight, but it is consistent with your record. I mean, during the Obama administration, I think they gave you about $48 million to go train up some folks in Syria to go take on the Assad government. And I think your testimony was that only four or five survived first contact with the enemy. So what confidence should this committee have in you or should the country have in you when you've now confessed to us and whether it's the swing and a miss in Afghanistan that General Milley talked to the Senate about yesterday, total failure, or whether it was your failures in Syria, you don't seem capable to look at a fighting force and determine whether or not they have the will. 
Well, is you recall, that an embarrassing? You recall, Congressman, that uh, the end result was a, a, uh, uh, the SDF that we stood up that was very, very instrumental in turning the, the, the tide of, uh, of, of battle up in Syria. Oh, yeah. Turned turn it so much. You've got Assad in power in Syria. You've got the Taliban in power in Afghanistan. I mean, where have you been? The focus was, the focus was ISIS, Congressman. And, we, and, and those forces uh, had significant uh, effect on, on the well, ISIS it, network. It just seems like you're chronically bad at this. And you have admitted that, I guess, which is to your credit. But, you know, when, when people in the military, like Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller, stand up and demand accountability, when they say that you all screwed up, when they point out that General Milley's statement that the talent, you know, that, that the government of Afghanistan is not going to get defeated by the Taliban, well, he ends up in the brig. And you all end up in front of us, and your former employer Raytheon ends up with a lot of money, and we have poured cash and blood and credibility into a Ghani government that was a mirage. It fell immediately. And while the guy sitting next to you was off, you know, talking to Phil Rucker and was off doing his thing with Bob Woodward, we were buying into the big lie. The big lie that this, that this was ever going to be successful and that we could ever rely on the Afghanistan government for anything at all. You know, General Milley, you kind of gave up the game earlier when you said you wanted to address elements of your personal conduct that were in question. We're not questioning your personal conduct. We're questioning in your official capacity going and undermining the chain of command, which is obviously what you did. You, you've created this whole chain of command. Did not undermine the chain narrative. of command in yeah, manner you did. they performed. You absolutely Congress. did. And it, did not. Well, you know what? You said yesterday that you weren't going to resign when senators asked you this question. And I believe that you guys probably won't resign. You seem to be very happy failing up over there. But if we didn't have a president that was so addled, you all would be fired. Because that is what you deserve. You have let down the people who wear the uniform in my district and all around this country. And you're far more interested in what you're perception is and how people think about you in insider Washington books than you care about winning, Gentleman's which this time group has is incapable expired. of doing. And Ms. Houlihan is now recognized. that was Representative Matt Gates of Florida. My, oh, my, oh, my. Well, if you want to start a fight, you did it. If you wanted the, the, the talking points for your, your, your ad campaign, you did that too. But we should be clear about a couple things. And those couple of things go as follows. Why didn't they quit? They said, they stated that they gave President Biden information. They said to President Biden, you should keep 2,500 troops. He clearly said no. Now, remember, Biden is the guy who said, nobody said that to me. And they're, oh, they are trying to spin this. Holy Mick mackerel. Let me, let me give you the flashback here. Let me give you the flashback to Biden telling Stephanopoulos, uh, George Stephanopoulos from ABC, no one told me about 2,500 troops. Your top military advisors warned against withdrawing on this timeline. They wanted you to keep about 2,500 troops. No, they didn't. It was split. That, that wasn't true. That wasn't true. They didn't tell you that they wanted troops to stay? No, not, at, not in terms of whether we were going to get out in a time frame, all troops. They didn't argue against that. 
So no one, no one told your military advisors did not tell you, no, we should just keep 2,500 troops. It's been a stable situation for the last several years. We can do that. We can continue to do that. No, no one said that to me that I can recall. But they, they did. Now, what's interesting here is people are trying to spin this. So Kate Benningfield, who is the White House Communications Director, said that the advice was split and that his military advisors did not say they could maintain stability at 2,500 without a return to direct conflict. Well, first, you realize that the only thing that mattered was getting out. Was this a fear of the Taliban or something? Ending the war, the legacy, that's all that mattered. Secondly, if the advice is in and of itself split, then quite clearly he was given the advice to stay. He was given advice to stay. But people like Jennifer Rubin, uh, who claims to be a conservative, she's not, just ridiculous writer over at the Washington Post, uh, uh, Glenn Kessler, others, trying to spin this to the very best of their ability. And then you have Jen Psaki saying that, and, and let me quote, That is not a decision that the president made. It's up to the commander-in-chief to make those decisions. Wait, 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 wait. The president is the commander-in-chief. This is about leaving 2,500 troops. Here. I'll come around to you Back on Afghanistan, the the president said his military commanders were split. We now know that the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Milley, the head of CENTCOM, General McKenzie, and the commander on the ground, General Miller, all recommended that the president keep 2,500 troops. So who in his military advisors told him it would be fine to pull everybody out? I'm not going to get in specific details of who recommended what, but I can. I would reiterate a little bit of what I conveyed before, which is that there were recommendations made by a range of his advisors, something he welcomed, something he asked them to come to him uh, clear-eyed about, uh, to give him candid advice. Uh, what is also clear, though, and I'd also note again what Secretary Austin said today, is that was not going to be a sustainable over-the-long-term troop presence. We were always going to look at escalating the numbers, at potentially going back to war with the Taliban, at risking casualties. That was not a decision the president was going to make. But, of course, he welcomes advice. He welcomed advice. Ultimately, it's up to the commander-in-chief to make a decision. He made a decision it was time to end a 20-year war. That was the only thing that mattered. Now you have the proof. We were right from the very beginning. But now let's get back to Milley and to Austin and to McKenzie. General Frank McKenzie, CENTCOM. If they felt it was important... Why didn't they, as the expression goes, put their rank on the table? Why didn't they say, Mr. President, you're going you're gonna to get people hurt. This can't work like this. Now, I think some of it has to do with the fact that the Defense Department, therefore the military, was not given the job of assisting state to engage a valuable withdrawal. And I think what you're getting from Secretary Lloyd Austin... There's a tremendous amount of cover, political cover, for Milley and for, and for uh, McKenzie. They were asked to keep the embassy safe, and they can make the argument that that's exactly what they did. So there is, to an extent, the possibility of this is the task we were given, we executed the task. However... 
you were given the task because your recommendation was not listened to. It was not, it was not, the advice was not um, uh, taken to, to heart, right? The president saw better. But you, the ones executing the job on the ground, had to realize how much more difficult your job would be without, those, without that happening. So what did you do about it? This is the question. What did you do about it? And I put forth to you that they did nothing about it except keep being generals. Why didn't they put, as Lieutenant Colonel Schiller uh, put it, the guy who's in jail right now for asking this question, why didn't they put their ranks on the table? Why didn't they say, we can't do this? We quit. Now, you can make the argument that you can't just quit every time, you know, there's some disagreement. Okay. It's a fine argument. It's an outstanding argument. However, this was an argument of people who were going to die. So why not? Why not? I think it's an acceptable question to ask. Failures here up and down the line. And then, uh, and as this, this conversation about Millie, I think, is a good one. This is a guy who's playing in the press. Right now, only McKenzie seems to me like a guy who's a general. Millie wants to play in the press, and Lloyd Austin is clearly covering for Biden. Well, it's going to happen. Doesn't mean we should take it. Meanwhile, Congressman Don Bacon of Nebraska is asking the questions. Let's, let's get a minute of his questions in there. How would the U.S. conduct an orderly transition of security functions to the Afghan military? And how would the U.S. protect Americans who remain in country? And how would the U.S. coordinate any such withdrawal with our NATO allies? In short, every single failure that we are now witnessing, Congress warned against and writing in a law over a year ago. But after taking office, President Biden, I'm referring to, wrote to the Biden, we wrote to the Biden administration reminding them that it was not permitted to go below 2,500 until it provided assurances to Congress that our vital interests could be secured. Despite clear congressional intent, backed by statute, this did not happen. The day after taking office, the newly confirmed Under Secretary of Defense for Policy, Colin Cowell, wrote to the members of this committee essentially stating that President Biden was smarter than Congress, was confident he had all the angles covered, and believed it was not in the national interest to provide Congress with the assurances required in Section 1215. Mr. Chairman, I ask unanimous consent to enter this letter into the record. That's smart from Bacon. That's smart from Representative Bacon. Because it's painting the the reality that Biden had it all covered, all the eventualities covered. Well, maybe not. We're going to cover more of this. I have so much to get to about forced vaccine mandates. That's all coming up. This is Tony Katz today. So Congressman Adam Smith is the chairman of the House Armed Services Committee. Man, he's been going on a tear for a while here there, Producer Ari. Yeah, like five minutes. You called it grandstanding? Like, are they, are they heading to a break and he's just he's just leading into it? Because now there's an argument? Now, yeah, him and Rogers are going at it. Who, who is the ranking member. So Mike Rogers is the ranking member of the Republican. Then you've got Adam Smith. Put it up a little bit. I want to hear what they're doing. We did listen to it. So, I mean, I, I'm not challenging and I have not in any way disparaged these great gentlemen. In fact, in my opening remarks, I made it abundantly clear 
I don't want them shouldering blame for what happened in this withdrawal when it was the administration and the State Department and National Security Advisor. And with that, I'll yield uh, a Mr. minute Rogers to uh, Mr. The Bacon. Mr. Crow is recognized. Thank you, Mr. So Jason Chairman. Jason Crow is a representative out of Colorado and a Democrat, but he has been rough and tumble on this subject. Me, I'm Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, it's good uh, to be with you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait because I believe after Crow comes Congressman Jim Banks from the Indiana 3rd District who served in Afghanistan. We have him on the show uh, often. I find him to be an honest voice. I don't always agree with him, but I, I, I appreciate him uh, quite, quite a bit. Uh, there is a story I want you to start paying attention to and keeping an eye on. It comes out of Canada, and it involves Huawei. H-U-A-W-E-I. So this is the Chinese telecom company that desperately wants to control 5G. They want to control what is known as the Internet of Things. If they are the ones who get to write the protocols, they are the ones who have the power. And if they're writing the protocols, they can keep track of anything that's going through the network. It is imperative that China not be allowed to write the protocols of 5G. Great Britain was going to use Huawei technology to build out their 5G network. But when they saw what the, the liars that they are, these commies, <laughs> regarding COVID, they actually said, no thanks. That, that was huge. That was earth-shattering. Now, Canada, you'll remember, was actually holding uh, a, a Huawei executive in custody for the United States. She also happened to be the daughter of the owner of the company. Well, I know, the owner of the company is a communist. Not the owner there. So this was happening for a while. She just recently got released. Canada is getting ready to make the decision about whether to allow Huawei into the country to install 5G wireless networks. You already have telecom companies that are removing Huawei from their networks, pulling these things out because they know they can't be trusted because you know you're giving all this data to the communist government, to the Politburo. You can't trust a, a commie. You just can't do it. It can't be done. So the decision that Canada makes is a big one and is a big one for the national security of the United States. It has to be monitored. It has to be monitored. Because to allow Huawei in is, of course, a mistake. And the United States should be very, very bothered if Huawei is allowed to engage with Canada. Same thing with Mexico. It is imperative for the United States not to allow this to happen. They must be kept out of the area, of the region. I wouldn't even allow them in Central America. But right now, we're going to go back to the hearing. They're answering the questions. This is the House Armed Services Committee. And I think you're going to have Congressman Jim Banks asking the questions. He's, he's got an interesting take, having served in Afghanistan uh, himself. And some of the people that we're hearing from today in the House have served. You had a much more political moment here or political uh, conversation here from the political left. Because Adam Smith is working overtime to protect the Biden administration from what happened in the withdrawal in Afghanistan. And as you heard there at the tail end, you have Mike Rogers, the ranking member for the Republicans, not going after the Millie or, or McKenzie or re even so much Austin, really trying to focus it on Biden. That's a good strategy. Uh, Producer Ari, do we have uh, Congressman Banks up?
No, it's just uh, Crow still. Crow is still finishing up? It's a solid strategy for Republicans to say, we're going to focus on Biden. I get that people are mad at Austin and Milley. I get why they need to go. I understand. I am with you. That it is clear that Mark Milley was talking to the press in a way that he shouldn't have been. He was too chummy with the press. He was too much trying to get things out there. And then there was a conversation of whether or not he and Mark Esper, the then Secretary of Defense, were working in any level of concert to usurp the authority or or diminish the authority of President Donald Trump. I don't care what you think of the president. We don't play that game, which is why the Nancy Pelosi question is, to, to me, so big. I'm with you. But if you want to discuss a top-line conversation, discuss the fact that Joe Biden was so desperate to get out of Afghanistan, he didn't care who he left behind to die. He didn't care what promises he broke. He didn't care about the reputation of the United States. How can you let this guy go unchecked and unfettered? My gosh, you better vote for Republicans in the midterms. Don't deny that that's that's the selling point. Don't deny that that's where you want to be. And Biden has a whole host of problems. How about the border? We, we should not forget that the border is going on. How about Florida and Governor Ron DeSantis suing the Biden administration over southern border policies? Over catch and release and a series of other things. They're claiming that the administration policies forced Florida to incur millions of dollars in expenses. Biden's got a lot to deal with. Right now, let's take it to Representative Jim Banks asking questions of Millie of Austin and McKenzie. I believe that part of my job is to communicate to the media what we do as a government, what we do as a military, to explain to the people. And so I do interviews regularly with print media, books, uh, documentaries, videos on TV, uh, TV interviews. It's, I think it's part of a senior official's job to be transparent, and I believe in a free press. What happens when a military general becomes a political figure? I have you would done my... Dan- you, you would agree that's dangerous? I think it's dangerous, and I have done my best to remain personally apolitical and to try to keep the military out of actual domestic politics. And I made a point of that from the time I became the chairman, and especially beginning last summer. You told us, yes, you told uh, the Senate yesterday you hadn't read the, the book or any of the other political books that have come out, but... I don't know how anybody could read the Bob Woodward book. I don't know how you could read it and not be greatly embarrassed about its contents, especially in what, how it's related to you. Are you embarrassed by the book? I haven't read the book yet. Um, Are you I embarrassed will. by the portrayals of the book? No doubt you're aware of them. Embarrassed, no. I'm concerned that there's uh, mischaracterizations of me becoming very politicized as an individual and that it's my willingness to become politicized, which is not true. I am trying to stay apolitical, and I believe I am. That's part of my professional ethic, and I'm trying to keep the military, the actual military, out of actual domestic politics. I think that's do you, critical. Do you regret speaking with Bob Woodward? No, I think that it's important for me to speak to the media. I want to talk about some of the contents of the book. Since you haven't read it, maybe okay. I can read some of it to you. We've already heard a little bit about the back and forth with you and Speaker Pelosi. But in that conversation, um, you said in a phone call with Speaker Pelosi, um, she, she said, quote, Republicans are enablers of President Trump's behavior. You know he's crazy. He's been crazy for a long time. You replied, I agree with you on everything. 
That was repeated three times in the prologue of the book Pero that you, you told Speaker Pelosi that you agree with her on everything. Is that an accurate portrayal of your recounting to Bob Woodward about those conversations? Not exactly, no. I think that, so in is fact, Bob, I know is what Woodward I said. Bob Woodward wrong? In is fact, that portrayal wrong? In fact, I know what I said, which was, Madam Speaker, I am not qualified to determine the mental health or assess the mental health of Did this president or any president. Did you tell the Speaker that you agreed with her on everything? And what I was referring to when I said that was I agree that we need to have the processes and procedures uh, in place to make sure that we don't have an accidental or illegal or unauthorized use of nuclear weapons. And I do agree with that. And we do have those procedures. You said you agreed with her. According to Bob Woodward. I'm not agreeing with Bob her. Bob Woodward is right or, or, or you're right. I am not agreeing with her assessment of the president, nor the with The book her. also goes on to, in talking about the January 6th riot. It says that you told Bob Woodward that you wrote in a list in your notebook of groups that you personally believe were responsible for the attack and that you associated with it. Quote, and you call these, these groups, quote, domestic terrorist or this domestic terrorism. That list included in your notebook, according to Bob Woodward and your, from your conversations with him, Nazis and Oath Keepers, but it also included two conservative media outlets that you listed in your notebook, including the Epic Times, which, by the way, is a news outlet that was founded by critics of the Chinese Communist Party, and Newsmax, which is the second most watched conservative media outlet in the country today. Do your notes about January 6th reference both Epic Times and Newsmax as on a list of domestic terrorists? I'm not recalling this conversation at all. It's, I, in, I, it's in the book. It, it may be in the book. I haven't read the book. I'm not recalling a conversation about Newsmax, Epic Times. Do you have that. a notebook that lists Newsmax and Epic Times as domestic terrorists as recounted by the Bob Woodward book, Peril? I or is no Bob Woodward lying to us in the book? I, I don't know. I don't recall any conversation about Epic Times. Do you believe that Newsmax and Epic Times are domestic terrorists or their no, viewers I think, or readers no, are I domestic think, terrorists? No, not at all. I don't think Epic Times nor Newsmax are domestic terrorist organizations. Will you produce I believe they are, notes to this committee I'll produce uh, that any you relate to Bob Woodward in the book that you listed different groups that are responsible for January 6th? Sure, absolutely. I yield back. Gentleman's time has expired. Uh, I will just note for the record that I was quoted in that book as well, and a lot of what I said was conflated and not 100% accurately portrayed. It, it does happen. Just because someone says something doesn't mean that it is an accurate portrayal and doesn't even mean they're lying. It could be a misunderstanding about what was actually said. Uh, Ms. Slotkin is recognized for five Well, it's an interesting way to put it, and uh, Producer Ari was in my ear while Congressman Jim Banks was asking those questions about Epic Times and Newsmax. Like, who, who cares? And wh why, why, is he, why is he bringing uh, the, the, this up? And uh, clearly, it is to establish a baseline of trust. Can you trust what is being said? And the question, of course, is by whom? Now that Adam Smith wants to go there, he's uh, the, the chairman of the committee, and he wants to give some commentary about uh, these things are sometimes conflated, they're sometimes confused. He's trying to give some cover. But the question that Congressman Banks has now put into the sphere is, can we trust the account? Because if we can't trust the account, we're saying that Bob Woodward is lying. So now if you're making the accusation that Bob Woodward, who wrote the book, quoting these things from the, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Mark Milley, 
about reaching out to the Chinese, about the phone call from from uh, Nancy Pelosi, about things said about Epic Times and Newsmax. And you guys know I appear on Newsmax regularly. If we can't believe that, well, then Bob Woodward now has to say, whoa, 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 don't call into question my credibility. Here you go. Allow me to give you my copious notes or whatever proof I have, which now brings you back to Mark Milley. Well, he says it's absolutely true. What do you say, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, General Mark Milley? And now it's a he said, he said. And you're left with, well, somebody's lying. It is one thing to, you know, um, if if you said, uh, hey, man, the sunny skies today. And it got reported as great weather today. All right, you said sunny skies, but they reported it as great weather. If you said sunny skies today and it got reported as they want to kill my Meemaw, that's different. And now you got to ask the question, who's saying what? Who's telling what? Who's saying it right? That's what Congressman Banks just put in. That's what he just dropped in there. I would argue, and I, had not, I, did, I have not spoken to Congressman Banks about this, but I, I would absolutely ask him the question, was this his questions or was this Republican strategy to get Chairman, uh, I mean, yes, Chairman Milley on the record to refute the things said in the book so that later, if things are discovered to have been said or not said, they can call somebody a liar based on their testimony, accuse them of perjury? I'm arguing it's the latter. That it may have been his idea for these questions, but it was about Republicans wanting him on the record. And that is not the worst strategy in the world. I have got more coming up. Keep it right here. I'm Tony Katz. So producer Ari asked me a very interesting question about the hearings going on and the questions asked by Congressman Jim Banks. He said, why no questions about Afghanistan? Why all this about Mark Milley? Everything that Congressman Jim Banks of the Indiana 3rd District asked was about the book and and the book written by Bob Woodward. And and did he say this and did he say that? And did he, you know, question uh, Trump's health? And did did he agree with Nancy Pelosi that Trump was unfit? And did he uh, call Newsmax a terrorist organization? Why isn't he talking about Afghanistan? Allow me to answer that question for everybody. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. And I answer it not with my own words. I answer it with the opening statement in front of the Senate Armed Services Committee. Today they're in front of the House Armed Services Committee. The opening statement, Senate Armed Services Committee, just yesterday. If I could, I I know uh, that there's some issues in the media that are of deep concern to many members on the committee. And with your permission, I'd like to address those for a minute or two. Again, I've submitted memoranda for the committee to take a look at. You may proceed. Uh, Mr. Chairman, I've, I've served this nation for 42 years. I spent years in combat, and I buried a lot of my troops who died while defending this country. My loyalty to this nation, its people, and the Constitution hasn't changed and will never change as long as I have a breath to give. My loyalty is absolute, and I will not turn my back on the fallen. With respect to the Chinese calls, I routinely communicated with my counterpart, General Lee, with the knowledge and coordination of civilian oversight. 
I am specifically directed to communicate with the Chinese by Department of Defense guidance, the policy dialogue system. These it is Mark Milley who brought up China. Therefore, everything regarding the phone call with China, everything regarding what he thought of the uh, aptitude and the, 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 the mental capacity of Donald Trump, everything involving conversations and quotes from the book matter and come into question because we are not just talking about Afghanistan now, are we, when Mark Milley himself introduces China into the conversation. We are discussing whether or not the United States military will uphold, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States and follows the chain of command. Mark Milley did this to himself. Don't get angry that people ask the question. The markets are insane. The debt limit is a problem, and we may not have ourselves a working government in a couple days like we have a working government now. And Bernie Sanders is ride or die, bitches. Keep it right here. I'm Tony Katz.